Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,739. Today, we're setting land speed records. Hold on. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in Dallas, Texas with a guy who likes to go very fast by the name of Charlie Nierberg. Charlie, welcome to Cars Yeah! My friend, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm strapped in and tied down, Mark. Got yeah. my Hans device on and uh, ready, to, ready to rumble. Yeah, for a guy who goes as fast as you do, you need to be strapped in and tied down. Now, before I give my listeners here a proper introduction of you... Would you tell me one little thing that most people don't know about you, Charlie? I thought about that. I, I enjoyed your question. Probably it's my love of flying as well. I've got over 5,000 hours of flying time and everything from tail draggers to aerobatic airplanes to jets. And uh, I actually own a small uh, backcountry airplane manufacturing company. So, uh, so I, 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 really, I really love flying. Well, for a guy who loves flying, uh, I think you've taken your speed to the ground here and, uh, and tried to replicate what you do in the sky. Uh, what you do is absolutely amazing. Listeners, let me give Charlie a proper introduction, and we're going to dive into this incredible life that he has. Charlie Nierberg is a lifelong car racer with a career that includes driving a 333 SP Ferrari. Oh my God, what a beautiful car. At Le Mans and finishing fourth and 10th overall at Sebring 12 hours. He drove the late Walter Payton IndyCar in the 1997 CART FedEx Championship. In recent years, he has focused on setting records at the Bonneville Salt Flats in the spirit of Rhett Streamliner. In September 2010, he set a 414 mile per hour FIA record with a top speed of 400 and 22 miles per hour, breaking a 45-year record that was set by Sumner Brothers in the Golden Rod. You've heard me talk about them with guests on the show here in the past, making the Spirit of Rhett the fastest normally aspirated car in history. He's a Dartmouth Thayer School of Engineering graduate and has been an advisor there for over 30 years. And he is a trustee of the Peterson Automotive Museum, University of Texas Southwestern Medical Foundation, the Arts Center College of Design, and he is a life trustee of the St. Mark School of Texas. We'll be back in a minute to try to keep up with this guy who likes to travel fast, but first a word from our sponsors that make this show possible. So keep your seatbelts on. We are going to be flying today. We'll be right back. Do you have a pet in your household that loves to go for rides? Our pets are part of our families, but they can be very hard on your vehicle's interior. Covercraft offers a wide variety of solutions to protect your vehicle from Fido's rough treatment. Canine cargo area covers are padded for comfort and provide door-to-door -door protection. Pet pads have built-in features that keep cargo areas and seats protected. Covercraft's quality pet solutions cover cargo areas, bucket or bench seats, and protect from damaging claws, pet fur and hair, mud, moisture, and drool from permanently damaging those fine finishes on your vehicle's interiors. Choose from a variety of styles and covers for almost every vehicle that's made. And here's something I've got just for you. 
and for Fido. Use the code ya 120 at Covercraft.com and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft pet protection order. That's right, 10% off. That'll make Fido happy. Simply use the code ya 120 Y-E-A-H-120 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. And Fido too. American Collectors Insurance, that's how I now protect my Porsche Turbo. The one I call my orange crush. Are you insuring your classic vehicles on your regular daily driver auto policy? Then your special vehicles are at risk. Your regular auto insurance carrier won't tell you how much you'll get until after a claim. And more than likely, you'll be in for a rude awakening. With agreed value policy from American Collectors Insurance, you'll be paid your vehicle's full agreed value. No surprises. If you're driving your collector car less than 5,000 miles a year, do what I did. Call American Collectors Insurance and get your very own agreed value policy tailored to your specific vehicle. If you're like me, you're picky about who works on your special ride. A great policy allows you to choose your repair shop of choice, and that means you'll know the job is done right. I shopped around and decided to protect my car with American Collectors Insurance. They've been protecting vehicles since 1976. Give them a call for a quote today at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love. I did at American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Okay, Charlie, as we continue on this very fast-paced life that I'm going to call our journey, I should say, that I'm going to call your life, I'd love to start with a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that has great meaning for a guy like you. So, Charlie, grab the wheel. Well, I have, I have two, uh, Mark. One is, uh, one came to me from my father, who, uh, and I think it's particularly appropriate for the times that we're in right now. Uh, and that is, he always told me, he said, you're going to be known by the company you keep. And I've always, I've, I've always found that to be true. And I think it's, you know, so, so that's something that, that I, that I try to keep in mind. And, uh, and I also, the people that are associated with me, I try to, I try to behave in a manner that is going to reflect well on them as well. Nice. And and, and then the second one I I sort of learned in high school, which was the concept of noblesse oblige, uh, and freely translated, that means to whom much is given, much is expected. And, I've been certainly had some hard times in my life, but I've also, you know, I've also been, you know, been very fortunate in many ways. And, and so I believe it's very important for any and all of us who, 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 who've received good graces to pass that on and to share that and, and, and to give back to our communities. You have two wonderful quotes here, Charlie, and I'm not surprised a guy like you and, and what you've done with your life. You know, when I, we're growing up and our mothers always told us, choose your friends wisely, hang out with the right people. Well, you're known by the company you keep. And boy, is that the truth for sure. And Noblesse Noblesse, another wonderful one uh, to be grateful. And that's something I've learned by interviewing so many people here that those of us who are truly grateful really live wonderful lives. I want to dive into this life that you have created for yourself. You have had an incredible life and the the things that you do, the things that you've quested to do and breaking speed records and racing and so forth. Oh my gosh. And it really is an honor to get to talk to you today. 
I'll let you start wherever you'd like to with your life and take us on maybe a quick little journey through it. And I also want to mention that how I came across meeting you, our good mutual friend Judy Stropas, who's introduced me to so many people, they sent me a book from Evro Publishing that you are in titled Quest for Speed, the epic saga of record-breaking on land. It's by Barry John, who's going to be a guest here in the future of the show. So let's go way back first to your racing career and how you got involved with it. And let's kind of walk through time, if you will, uh, going up to the time where you decided, you know what, maybe going... Uh, racing at Loire isn't fast enough. I think I'm going to go to this place called Bonneville. So uh, take us on a little journey, if you would. Well, you'll probably have to cut me off mid-stride here, Mark. <laughs> but first of all, it's an honor for me to be on your show. I've, I've looked in, at so many of the interviews that you've done. And, and amongst friends and people I admire, you, you've cut a wide swath. Thank you. So, uh, well, you know, uh, I grew up in Roswell, New Mexico, and my dad liked cars. And and he, at various points when I was growing up, he had a, a little Alfa Romeo uh, a Sprint Veloce, and he had a, a Porsche 956, not at the same time, but at different times. And so, and my granddad had a, uh, on my father's side, had a Chrysler Dodge dealership in Andrews, Texas. And this is not your mega mall dealership. We're talking about a cinder block building with an overhead door and a gas pump. And, uh, you know, it was, things were a little more rough and tumble back then and out in West Texas. But, but, but I come to my love of cars, honestly, and my mom actually liked to drive fast as well. So my dad took me to my first race at Fort Sumner, New Mexico. I believe it was in 1960 when I was 10 years old. So as you can tell, I'm uh, you know, I'm actually uh, getting quite elderly at this point, but I don't act like it. No, I don't think uh, elderly <laughs> works into your lifestyle at all, Charlie. You are quite yeah. a young man in my view. <laughs> well, thanks. I'm, I'm trying every day. Yep. But uh, anyway, and I just, you know, a lot of the greats were there, even though it was a little, you know, airport airstrip, you know, racetrack like we had so much of here in the Southwest. But, you know, Carol Shelby, you know, Shelby and guys like Hap Sharp and Jim Hall and, and, and guys like that were, you know, were, were, you know, would come to these races. And, and I just, boy, from the time I actually saw my first race, as opposed to just reading about it in the, you know, in the magazines that my dad would get, I just, I said, this is, this is what I want to do. And uh, one thing led to another. And, you know, I, I, I sort of started racing go-karts when I could. My dad had kind of a complicated relationship. And I had a complicated relationship, which I won't delve into here, but we did share a love of cars. And and uh, when we finally got to be spending some time together, you know, when I was in high school, I started dragging him out to Green Valley Raceway, which was here outside of Dallas. And, and uh, anyway, he never really wanted to help me do my racing. He felt that something I should mostly do on my own, at least until I proved myself a bit. So I started racing go-karts. And then I, from my summer earnings, I bought a Lotus Super 7. And when I was in college, I spent a lot of time in the Thayer School machine shop, rebuilding the head and putting in bronze valve guides and building better oil pans and, and making better rear axles and doing all the stuff you had to do to to cars like that back in the day when you couldn't order stuff out of summit racing or <laughs> online <Yeah. laughs> you, you kind of had to you know build a lot of it yourself so i just worked at racing as best i could and i i did learn early on from going to races that at least in those days making a living as a race car driver was a really difficult proposition 
And I realized that if I really wanted to provide for a family the way I hoped to, and if I wanted to accomplish the things in life that I wanted to accomplish, that you know, I really needed to get an education and I needed to be successful in business. And, and so the, the whole time I was pursuing my amateur racing career and maintaining my own car and getting off of work at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon and driving three or 400 miles like you had to do here in the Southwest to get to the next racetrack and then driving home Sunday night and getting in at two in the morning and getting to work at seven thirty in the morning. I mean, there were, there were a lot of years. I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't going through the same routine that guys like Johnny Rutherford and guys like that did chasing the, the dirt bull ring circuit. But, uh, you know, I was doing my own sports car racing, you know, a, a much smaller version of that. And, and there came a point in time, you know, I, I finished second at the runoffs, the SCCA runoffs. And, uh, and I thought, you know, I'm just not going to progress anymore as a driver, you know, working on my own car till all hours of the night and leaning on my friends to help me and, you know, dragging myself in, you know, living on, you know, four hours of sleep a night. And so you know, I was getting married at the time. And I, I told my wife, I said, look, I'm selling the race car, I'm selling the trailer, but I'm not quitting race and I'm just quitting until I have made enough money to where I can go racing and, and concentrate on driving. And anyway, I'm making too long a story out of this. <laughs> I, I started busting my hump in the oil and gas exploration business and and ultimately uh, got to a place where I could drive with Ralt America, who were the, the Ralt uh, race car importers and working with Brian Robertson and Dave McMillan you know, I really started learning a lot about racing and a lot about driving. And, and I was able to become a front runner in the formula, the professional Formula Atlantic series, which when it was super, super competitive and, you know, really fun racing against guys like Jimmy Vassar and Jacques Villeneuve and, oh, wow. and, you know, lots of guys that were went on to achieve much greater things than I ever did. But it, it was fun to be able to race with those guys and be competitive with them. And, you know, then in 93, I was just about to sign on for a full year of IndyCar with either Dale Coyne or, or Gary Bettenhausen or Dick Simon. And, and in November of uh, 93, we got the really difficult news that my son, Rhett, was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. And uh, that led to a very long 11-year journey with helping Rhett fight Ewing's. Uh, and, and very sadly, amazingly enough, Mark, you picked today for this interview and it was uh, 16 years ago today that Rhett lost his life. Oh my gosh! You know, so, I, uh, let me let me stop you there just for a second because I you just yeah, where do you go from here? I I wanted to talk a little bit about that and, and the support you've given to Ewing sarcoma cancer research, and and we're gonna we're gonna dive into that in a minute. But I I love the fact that you've used Rhett and his name to move forward into what you've done with land speed record setting and the spirit of Rhett, which we will channel today in the greatest of ways for your son, it brings him to the forefront of what you've done with your life as you've gone on. As a parent, I can't even imagine, can't even imagine what you went through and my sincere condolences and the effect that that has on a person, even after 16 years, of course, the rest of your life, of course, but you've carried on his spirit and no doubt he was a wonderful young man and a young, wonderful human being. Maybe what we can do here is is move forward a little bit quicker and talk a little bit about that because using Rhett as a driving force, excuse the pun, to go out and do what 
you found exciting in your life and carrying his spirit forward, I think is a incredible tribute to him. And when we when we get through this uh, this move into high speed, I do want to talk a little bit about your support for Ewing sarcoma cancer and how that has helped you get through this uh, tragic loss. But maybe there's some serendipity here to this being an anniversary and the fact that we're sitting here uh, thinking good thoughts about Rhett and what he meant to you and your wife and, and all the people that he touched in his life. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks for giving me a minute there. Yes, um, of course. Yeah, I, you know, I thought about changing the date, and then I thought this is a wonderful way to, to celebrate Rhett's yes, life. Yes, absolutely. So Rhett and I love doing motorcycle stuff together, and we, we did a lot of car stuff together and, and did a lot of off-road and, and on-road uh, motorcycling. And, and when Rhett died, I, I got to thinking, what what's something that I haven't done you know, that I really wanted to do that Rhett and I wanted to do together. And, and going to Bonneville was, was one of those things. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to go, I want to go large. <laughs> yeah, and, boy, did you and, ever. Holy cow. <laughs> and I was fortunate enough to meet Earl Wooden, who had a streamliner that he called the American Hot Rod. And uh, Earl had taken the car into the 350s. And I could tell that it was a good car. And but I could also tell as an engineer that, it, you know, there were things that I thought we could do with it. So I, I was I was really blessed at the time to have a, a gentleman working for me by the name of Lee Ryan, who had worked for Roger Penske for 11 years and been on three Indy 500 winning cars and had been the crew chief of Penske's uh, IMSA championship with the uh, Porsche RS Spider. And, and Lee and I approached Bonneville somewhat differently than a lot of teams do because we came from a road racing background as opposed to a drag racing background. Mm. And, and, and I really wanted to set my sights on, on big FIA records. And, and the one that, that we really wanted to get was the Summers Brothers record, which had been on the books for 45 years and was 409 miles an hour. And at the time was the, the fastest normally aspirated you know, record in history. And, yeah. and, and an FIA record, as you as you know, but maybe not all of our guests would know, is it, it's it's an endurance contest as well as a speed contest because you have to make two runs basically within an hour. And a Bonneville record, you make a run, and if you exceed the old record, you go into impound and you get four hours to work on the car and you get overnight for the car to cool down and you make your return run the next day, and that's difficult enough. And I and and, and I'm very proud of my Bonneville records. But an FIA record is another uh, another very big step up in terms of what the car has to be able to endure and how and 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 how it has to be designed. And so Lee and I, along with the rest of the team, worked were really really hard on the endurance aspect as well as the speed aspect. And so on September 21st of 2010, we had a magical morning where after seven years of development on the, well, actually about, I guess it wasn't seven years of development. It was, uh, oh, I guess about four four to five years of development on the car. We we were able to set that, that 414 mile an hour record. And it, it's hard to describe how special it was. <laughs> I can't imagine how rewarding that must have been because I've had a lot of uh, land speed record people on the show. Most recently, Louise North, who uh, just wrote a book about Bonneville. And we talked about that, but she explained a lot of what you just said with the FIA record setting. If it isn't hard enough to to go fast on one run, then you got to park it for a day and then come back and try to do it again or better it. Oh my gosh. Like, good luck. <laughs> hard to do. 
Yeah, the one-hour turnaround really requires an incredible amount of precision on the part of the, the pit crew when you come in for that, you know, when you coast in. And, I mean, I could talk about this for a lot, a lot longer than your guests are going to want to listen. But, you know, we did coast-down tests to figure out where to pull the chute so that I don't come to the stop out on the track, you know, before you – I would get back to the pits and uh, it's, it, there's a lot that really has to go right. So we were very fortunate to, to be able to do that. Yeah. And uh, you know, Ronnie Anderson and, and, the, and, and rear and Morrison who built the motors and just so many, so many people who, who contributed to that effort. And, and uh, I, I can sit here and list them all, but, but they're, <laughs> they're duly acknowledged on a website that I can share with you later. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I'm going to remind everybody here, this book, Quest for Speed, by my friends at Evro Publishing is, is really wonderful. Not only will you see Charlie in there, but a whole bunch of other people. They have cool illustrations. Uh, it's really, really spectacular. I'll put a link to that. You know, I always talk about a challenge question, and we touched on this with your your beloved son, Rhett. And I want to mention this because it's definitely something that is important. Uh, you're you're part of an instrumental in founding the Rhett Nierberg International Ewing Sarcoma Research Symposia. And there's a website for this too, folks, and I'll put a link to it, but it's real easy. It's www.rett, R-E-T-T, which is Charlie's son's name, uh, .org. And you can learn more about it. Um, this obviously has been an important thing in your life, having dealt with this for so long with your son and losing him, but also getting involved in something that can help other people that are dealing with this, right? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for mentioning it. And and on Red's website, there's also a lot more about the spirit of Red and and about Red himself, as well as what we're doing to fight Ewing's. But the symposium is something that doctors at the National Institute of Health and, and the Children's Hospital in Bethesda, that's part of the NIH, suggested was something that did not exist and could very much help. And and so we've done six of these now where we bring doctors in from all around the world to share their research and their findings and and, and trying to build a more unified you know, research effort uh, so that people aren't duplicating efforts and people are not, you know, people are sharing all of their results, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent, so that people don't go down and waste time going down a path someone else has already gone down. And so we've, we've done that. And in addition, we've also funded specific research at the National Cancer Institute and also at UT Southwestern Medical School into Ewing's. And it's just something that's very, this is a real really tough disease that mostly affects young young children and young adults and it's um uh and and we are making progress and the future of fighting Ewing's is you know it, it's morphing slowly but surely from just poisons and radiation to gene therapies and and targeted therapies and we're not there yet but we're working on it and the progress is never fast enough for those of us who've had to deal with it but it is progress. Well, it's wonderful. Again, I'll make sure I put a link to ret.org. And of course, uh, you can go in and learn more about this terrible disease and what's happening with it and how to help and, and perhaps be a part of it. I really appreciate you sharing that part of your life with us today. Wow, spirit of Rhett. I love it. And I love the spirit of Rhett that you've taken forward with your racing as well to keep him near and dear in your heart and in everybody's mind as life moves on. Let's take a short break. We'll take a little breath here. And when we come back, I want to dive a little bit deeper into your passion with cars. You touched on it earlier, but you're definitely a car guy. You're a racer. So keep the seatbelts on, folks. We'll be right back. 
I'm honored to say that my charity of choice here at Cars yeah is TechForce Foundation. They help young people find an education and career that aligns with their passions. For those who love cars, problem solving, and working with their hands, a career as a professional automotive technician is the perfect fit for a fulfilling life. We're all wired differently, and not every successful career demands a four-year university. Technical education and the skilled trades matter, and we need qualified skilled technicians to keep our vehicles rolling. Learn more about how you can support tomorrow's driving force and workforce of technicians at techforce.org, like I do here at Cars Yeah. GS Events was founded by Cindy Sisson and Teresa Gilpatrick. Together, they create strategic alliances, curated events, and business development connecting automotive brands to discerning audiences. Their flagship offering, Women Shifting Gears, amplifies women's voices and participation in the automotive culture. Through strategically developed events, they create innovative concepts and collaborations that create remarkable professional and personal experiences you won't find anywhere else. GS Events' immersive, inclusive opportunities create networking, skill building, and unforgettable experiences. Whether you enjoy rallies, concours, auctions, restoration, the business side of collective cars, or you always have yearned to expand your skills to drive vehicles to its fullest potential, GS Events has automotive events and experiences designed just for you. And by the way, both Cindy and Teresa are past guests here on Cars Yeah, so give them a listen. You can find gsevents.live on their website today. All right, we're back, and I would love for you to share a story that instigated this passion you have for racing and cars. When did you know that you were going to be a car guy? Well, I think, you know, to be candid, I think I sort of covered that a little bit earlier, yep. Mark, in my in talking about my dad taking me to the races at Fort Sumner, and, and uh, I guess another another touchstone along that journey was that uh, I was actually born in Midland, Texas, and my dad was good friends with Jim Hall and Hap Sharp. Oh, Chaparral. Yeah. 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 And, and they invited us to Sebring in 1965, the year of the, the, year of the big flood, but also the year that, that, that they actually won the race overall, you know, in the Chaparral. And, and so that was just a further, um, you know, just a, just a further touchstone for me. And, and, and I, you know, was very fortunate, you know, to become, become friends with Jim over the years and still see him usually at least once in the summer. So that was, that was really special. And, and, uh, I can't even imagine as a kid, you know, I used to build chaparral models in the sixties when I was a kid. And uh, I mean, the chance to get to know him and be around him and the innovativeness in that guy's head. Uh, I've, I would love to get him as a guest on the show. I understand he's a rather shy gentleman and likes to kind of keep to himself. So I've not been successful yet, but, um, the legacy that he leaves behind. And I got to spend some time at Laguna Seca one year when they featured Jim and his cars. And I remembered watching uh, Vic Elford strap into the vacuum car basically and do some laps around Laguna Seca and my son who was young at the time was with me and I said 
let me tell you about what's on the back of that. Cause he said, dad, what's with the box on the back of that car? That looks really <laughs> silly. Yeah. What a magnificent guy. Well, let's talk about a special vehicle in your life. No doubt you've jumped and strapped into some really insane vehicles. Is there one in particular that really stands out for you and maybe share a memory you have about that ride? Race car, street car, or a Bonneville Soulflat record setting car? Yeah. Well, of course, the, the spirit of red is, is the first thing. And yeah, I'll, I'll say one thing. People always ask me, you know, what it's like to, you know, to drive a car on the ground at those kind of speeds. And, you know, you do have quarter mile markers all the way down the, the track. So you you inherently have a sense of how fast you're going. And at about 350 miles an hour, you outrun the speedometer. It can't keep up. and But you do get a sense of it. And but what I tell people, you know, driving at Bonneville is a little bit of a different thing. It's not like road racing. And But for that run, those runs where we set the record, everything had to be done absolutely perfectly. Because at the time that we set that FIA record, the FIA had a rule that you had to exceed the old record by 1% Ooh. in order for your record to count. Now, they have since changed that record that rule. And now if you exceed it by any amount, it's a new record. And no one's yet broken our record. But it, but the day that we set that record, we had to go over 413 point, maybe 413.4. We had to exceed something like that in order to set a new record. And, and so while land speed racing doesn't require necessarily the same type or level of technique that road racing does, I spend a lot of time studying the salt and figuring out where I can get traction and where I need to be on the salt. And and I go down the complete course the night before and, and get out every very frequently, yeah. you know, to inspect the salt. And, and I could talk about this for a long time, which I won't, but, <laughs> but suffice it to say that you don't just strap in and, and hit the pedal. Right. I don't have traction control in my car. We we tried that and didn't find that it was, I could drive the car faster with my foot than by using traction control. And the salt is not a uniform surface like asphalt or concrete. When you're driving a car like that, it, you have to do everything very, very precisely. So during the acceleration portion I'm really focused on exactly where am I on the track? Am I where I want to be at each point in time on the track? And I've got to make my shifts exactly right. And then when I go to the nitrous oxide, I've got to be sure I get that done exactly right. And the time that I've really noticed the speed the most is when you exit the timing light at the six-mile point, I sort of ease out of the throttle and ease into the clutch so I don't disturb the car and then when I think everything is good, I snick it into neutral. And then I basically coast for two miles. I don't want to put the chute out until the eight-mile point because I don't want to come to a stop on the track. And if the guys had to come get me, we would never make the one-hour turnaround for the FIA record. And so there's two miles there where I'm coasting. Oh, wow. And so the engine's quiet. I'm not thinking about where on the track I am. I'm not thinking about the shifting and the nitrous oxide and watching the gauges and all of that stuff. And this all happens pretty fast. No I mean, kidding. <laughs> you know, Jeez. we're going from zero to 422 and, you know, and covering, you know, six miles and something like not much more than a minute. Not Man. much more than 50 seconds. And, Jeez. and so that, that time when I'm coasting, 
or maybe it's more like 70 seconds or, or, or 80, but it's not long. No. <laughs> and that two miles that I'm coasting, you know, the motor's behind you, it's idling, but you really, at Bonneville, you experience the curvature of the earth because it's one of the longest, flattest places on the planet. And it's just a crime. The Bureau of Land Management is still allowing mining of potash and mining of yeah, the salt there because yeah. it's ruined the salt. But that's another story. Anyway, you're sitting there in the car and you're just coasting and you're watching. All of a sudden, you can see the pits start to appear. You're kind of over the horizon now. You can really realize how fast you're going. And, you know, that coasting that two miles, I, I went into that two miles at 422 miles an hour. And after coasting for two miles, I'm still doing it at the eight mile point, you know, 380 miles an hour. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, Holy cow. And, and it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. And, you know, then you hit the chute and, um, you know, and you feel that tug or you want to feel that tug. I, I did have one day, this is a whole other story, but I did have one day where the chutes didn't come out. And that, that's another whole story. Uh, no kidding. Um, yeah. But, but uh, it ended well, uh, as you can tell, because I'm talking to you, but it was yes. uh, all hands on deck for a while. Wow. But, but that coasting time is when I really have this kind of surreal sense of, wow, I'm really going fast out here. <laughs> I, can't and, even, uh, I can't even imagine. I mean, it's beyond expectations. And uh, I was talking with somebody earlier today that I said, hey, I'm going to have Charlie on the show. And uh, guess what the speeds were that this guy set. And the guy I was talking to, he said, wait, what did you say? And it's it's mind-boggling. I mean, it's jet aircraft speeds, uh, just absolutely spectacular. I'm going to ask you a bit of an introspective question here, Charlie. I want to crawl into your skull a little bit here. If you woke up tomorrow and you were manifest as a vehicle, this isn't what you want to be. It's your attribute as a human being into a vehicle. What would Charlie Nierberg be, and more importantly, why? <laughs> well, I, I saw, you know, I've had you... Fortunately, you gave me a little cheat sheet, and I've had a chance to think about this. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, the, the car that comes to mind for me, there's two cars that come to mind, and, and they're real different. And I know you asked for one. One's, one's a Williams FW14B, which was the Nigel Mansell, you know, Red 5 championship, world championship car from 1992. And the other is a Porsche 935. I think I'll talk about the 935. Okay. Not because I like it more or better than the 14B, but, you know, the 935 is kind of this slightly uncouth, not totally refined car that's just one hell of a kick in the butt to drive. It, it's probably one of the most fun cars I've ever driven and raced. And, you know, you got dial-up horsepower with the adjustable waste gates. And, I mean, the thing, it's like this mon go-kart you know on massive steroids and you have to drive ahead of it all the time because it's got a spool diff with big fat rear tires and these smaller front tires and a short wheelbase and it requires a real different driving technique to go fast but it's yeah so satisfying and so to me it's kind of like I don't consider myself to be a terribly polished individual compared to some people I don't frankly care that much about the clothes that I wear as my wife will lament, you know, <laughs> but I love, you know, I love the idea of being able to dial up the horsepower. I love the idea of kind of the, you know, just the put your boot in it and see yeah. what it'll do kind of yeah. feeling that you get in the 935. 
Yeah, you know, it's a, a special car for me because my late friend Bruce Levin, who ran Bayside Disposal, drove sure. one of those. He uh, sponsored by the great uh, uh, folks at Brumos, of course, and then Hurley Haywood, who's been a guest here a couple times on the show, and, and Hurley racing that with the late uh, uh, Peter Gregg, yep. of course. Uh, phenomenal cars, and I remember going over to Bruce Levin's house many times, and he had both a 934 and 30, 935 um, parked in his garage as part of his collection from his days of racing Bayside Disposal. So yeah, I think you chose a great car here. Charlie, we're entering what I call the last lap. This is a bit of a lightning round, so I'll fire off some quick questions, get some quick answers from you. So here we go. What's one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your successes in racing in life? Well, I, persistence. Mm. I I always try to tell young people that assuming that you're reasonably objective about being qualified in some way for what you're trying to accomplish or being persistent enough to say, that's my goal and here's what I have to do to get there and I'm going to stick with it till I get there. You know, I, I just think persistence is is 90% of success, assuming that, assuming that you have, you know, basically done enough analysis to realize, you know, I could tell myself I'm going to go out and, you know, swing my arms fast enough to fly and we both know that's not going to happen. So, sure. You know, assuming a certain level of self-knowledge, I think persistence is what you've got to have. Although you could put a squirrel suit on and put your arms out and jump off a cliff and you could fly. So, you know, kind of fly. I think it's a controlled fall for those guys. But yeah, any rate. Now, if I could uh, arrange for you to sit down and have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or just or someone who's passed, perhaps, I'm kind of guessing it would be Rhett here, uh, most definitely. But is there someone else that comes to mind? Well, you know, it would be Rhett, but you qualified it in the automotive world, and I'll, I'll taking Rhett out of that for the moment. I thought about this a lot, and, and it came down to a, some someone who may be a little obscure to some of the listeners, but his name is Vittorio Yano. Okay. And Vittorio Yano was a, a very famous Italian racing engineer, and he was he was really the brains behind the the first great Alfa race cars, the Alfa Romeo 8Cs and the Alfa Romeo Tipo Bs. And, yeah. and he had a very long and distinguished career that, that sort of started with the cars that gave Enzo Ferrari his start. And it ended with the cars that saved Enzo Ferrari's bacon, which was basically the, the Lancia D50 Formula One car that, that really allowed Ferrari to survive in formula one and you know in, in the mid 50s and and he also designed some great launches the the fabulous d24s that won all the major over the road races the target florio the carrera pan america the the mila milia and vittorio yano is just someone who he wasn't a driver but he was an engineer whose career spanned many decades and and really was a kingmaker in his own way Absolutely. Wouldn't that be something? I think you're the first person to mention his name here on Cars Yeah, which I'm a little bit surprised about, but what a spectacular gentleman. Now, when it comes to automotive advice or racing advice that someone else ever offered you that you found particularly valuable, what would that be? Well, um, <laughs> I've got a lot of advice, some <laughs> of which I've been smart enough to listen to. Um, <laughs> if I had to put it in three words, it would be to buy the best. And I think that applies to whether you're whether you're looking at a race car to go racing with or whether you're looking at a collector car to add your collection. Whatever whatever genre you're looking at, buy the best that you can buy it that you can afford to buy. Yeah. And and don't look back. And as some of my friends have said to me, sometimes you buy too early, but you never pay too much. And, <laughs> Sounds uh, like something that Bruce Meyer would say. <laughs> oh my God. 
<laughs> I figured you'd make that connection. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, my dad taught me that years ago when I was a kid, I really wanted a Schwinn bicycle and I didn't have enough, but I had enough for a Huffy. And I remember going, dad, I think I've saved up enough of my paper out. Can you take me to the bike store? And he goes, well, I thought you wanted a Schwinn. And I said, yeah, but I really want a bike and I've got enough for this. And I, re- I remember this to this day and you, you brought it to my my mind, my forefront. I lost my father about four years ago and he put his hand on my shoulder, which is not something that he often did. It was kind of an interesting moment. And he said, Mark, he said, I would suggest you save up and buy what you want because that way you'll be happy if you settle for less. Just because you can afford less today doesn't mean you're going to accept it tomorrow. And it's something that's always stuck with me. And he always, of course, was one that said, save up until you can afford something. Don't buy on credit. Don't go into debt. <laughs> probably, from, probably from his days of growing up uh, on a farm in Texas where, you know, farmers work hard and they're frugal, but they're smart with their money. So yeah, definitely buy the best. Wait until you can afford the best. And then Definitely don't look in the rearview mirror. Just go forward and have fun. How about a great resource? There's so many at our fingertips these days. You and I as a kid could have never dreamed about what people can access today. Is there a regular go-to for you? Well, I have to put my Peterson Automotive Museum hat on here because I'm I'm so proud to be a board member of the Peterson. I'm, I'm really proud of, of what the Peterson has done through the COVID uh, epidemic. I'm I'm really proud of of the multicultural aspects that the, the Peterson embraces in its exhibits, and uh, and and I'm just um, it's such a fabulous institution that has great people. It puts on great exhibits. It really stretches the bounds. We we try to stretch the bounds as far as we can as uh, of what an automotive museum can be by you know linking relationships between automotive design and art and fashion and yeah. and music and and so I just encourage people to check out the Peterson website and and all all things Peterson. It is fantastic. I've had Terry Cargus as a guest on the show several times, Michael Bodell, of course we mentioned uh, Bruce Meyer. Barry McGuire. I mean, all these people involved with that museum. It, it is a spectacular place. And if you've never been there, once we can get out in the world and do things again, definitely put it on your bucket list. Just the building itself with the remodel they've done, you'll walk up to it and go, holy cow, what's going on here? Uh, it's absolutely spectacular. So thank you for your service to that great museum. I visited it many times. Can't wait to get back. How about a book? Now, obviously, I want to mention this book again, Quest for Speed, the Epic Saga of Record Breaking on Land by Barry John. It's from our friends at Evro Publishing. Uh, Charlie's got several pages in this book. Congratulations to you for that. Is there another book you'd like to share? Well, well, I do want to say that I have, I think, every book ever written about Bonneville, and there are some good ones, but but Barry John's book, The Quest for Speed, with a foreword by my friend and yours, David Tremaine, yes. is really, I have to say it, and, and, I, and I, I didn't get any free books, and I'm not getting paid to say this, <laughs> but it is, it's really a beautiful piece of work, and it, and it, and it encompasses record-setting vehicles at Bonneville in a way that I don't think any other book has done. So Barry's done a fabulous job of covering land speed vehicles in a, in a very, I think, in a unique and very comprehensive way. So I'm going to leave that one there. And, and uh, you know, I actually, um, you know, I'm actually going to mention another book. Oh, yeah. That's a little off the beaten path. But um, for those of you that are music fans, the, the band Rush 
the drummer was a, was a really famous musician by the name of Neil Peart. And uh, Neil had tragedy in his life. And he wrote a book called Ghost Rider, which I thought was just a fantastic book about his voyage to grief and and overcoming loss. And um, it's a great adventure book and it's a great it's a, it's a great story and beautifully written. And of course, we lost Neil a year or so ago. And yeah. I'm very sad that I never got to meet him. I always wanted to, but he's a very private person. And so I would I would throw Ghost Rider by Neil Peart out there. Uh, that's a great book. And I'm glad you mentioned David Tremaine. I was remiss in mentioning David because he's a past guest here on Cars. Yeah, you can go back and listen to his show. He shared some wonderful insights uh, about land speed record setting and so forth. So again, check it out. I'll put both of these books on Charlie Charlie's show notes page in the Cars yeah website. Just go to carsyeah.com, type in Charlie Nierberg, and you'll find links to them. And I would encourage you Click on both of them. I've made it real easy for you to get them for all the books recommended. There's over 1,800 books on the Cars yeah website under guest recommended books and on each of my guest show notes page. All right, Charlie, we're almost there. We're up to the checkered flag. I guess in the case of land, land speed record setting, there's really no checkered flag at the end. Is there just a light that comes on that says you're done? <laughs> <laughs> no, you you just you, you pull the chute and you and you get off the track and you get towed back, hopefully to impound and yeah. you get to work on the car. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> well, we'll call it the checkered flag because you've done a lot of road racing and you know what checkered flags look like because you have crossed the finish line too many of those. I'm going to buy you a collector vehicle today, Charlie. Anything in the world doesn't matter who owns it. I'm going to park it in your garage there. But there's a couple rules to my game, as there always are with sponsors. One is you can't sell it to fund some other great adventure in your life. I want you to keep it and enjoy it. At this point in your life, you know, we got to get out and enjoy life. Everybody at any point in their life needs to get out and enjoy life. Uh, But here's a kicker. It's the only one collector vehicle you can have. So what am I buying you today, Charlie? (laughs) Well, I... I've tipped my hand a little bit. Yeah, I think um, you have. You know, I will say that I know I, I know I can only have one, I, but I do have to say that if I could have one race car and one car that could be a race car that you could drive on the street, yeah, the one race car I would keep is the Eagle Mark III Toyota GTP car that that my good friend Dan Gurney built at All American Racers. Oh and, yeah. And for those of you who you know, who loved Dan and loved all American racers. Dan passed away this very same day, January 14th. So we're sending out good vibes and love to Dan today too. Yeah. And, and his family and, as well. For definitely. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Abby and, and, and the whole family. And, and, and so, but you can't drive the Eagle on the street. So that's a difficult one. So, <laughs> yeah. so then it, it comes down to one of three cars, an HC Alpha, the Tipo B Alpha, or of course the, you know, sort of, you know, the um, the legendary GTO, and and I have to say that I, I think the HC Alpha really takes the cake because it's it's um, I don't know I mean I, I don't I don't need to give you an, a history lesson on the HC Alpha what a fabulous machine they are yeah, but no uh, kidding. there's just something so beautifully everything on that car. Well, anyway, I don't want to wax on. That's not what you asked me, but it's an HC Alpha. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, pretty darn spectacular car. I mean, over the top. And I've heard that from many guests here that that would be a car that they would love to have. And it's definitely one of those vehicles that 
you think about it back in the day, but even today for vintage rallies and, and even some racing and things that kind of does it all and and could do it all back in the day and today. And you think about the cars, uh, my good friend up north of me here, not too far away, John Shirley, of course, has a Pebble Beach winning HC Alpha. I love the convertible car. That one is even in my mind. Sorry, John, I think it's a little bit cooler. <laughs> you know, that's uh, pretty spectacular. And we've seen these on the lawn at Amelia and Pebble Beach and other great events around the world, Via Este and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you picked a nice one, my friend. It's going to cost me a pretty penny. Holy cow. That's okay. That's okay. I think <laughs> you would look very grand behind the wheel. Charlie, you've taken me on an absolutely spectacular trip today. Thank you for connecting with me today. I really appreciate you sharing all of your stories with us. Uh, a big send out and a lot of love to you and your family and Rhett today on a bit of an anniversary. Uh, we'll call it a great anniversary in the case of his memory, of course. I want to thank you for sharing your life. Just a little window of it. You and I could talk for hours. Maybe we have you come back and talk about some specifics. But before I let you go and you drive off into the sunset in that Alpha HC, is there maybe one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance you might offer our listeners and for me? Well, thanks for asking, Mark. It's been a pleasure to be on your show, and I'm honored to be here. I and I appreciate the listeners, uh, you know, taking time, hopefully, to to listen to to what we're sharing today. I thought about this, and comes back again to some advice that I got my dad. Um, this is a little bit more about business, but it's really about life as well. And and that was, he said, always align your success with that of your investors or your partners or your employees, so that they share in your success every bit is, you know, along right along with you. You know, he, he said, don't ever, don't ever try to make your money by squeezing it out of somebody else. Succeed by creating value, not just receiving a promote or, mm. or trying to take advantage of people. And, and I've always tried to live with by that and it's, and it's worked very well for me. Obviously, you had a great father. Is there a way for people to keep up with you? Are you active out there, social media of, of different sources? You know, I, I I guess I'm of a generation, Mark, where where I'm I'm really not. Um, I, you know, I apologize that. <laughs> That's okay. That. I think you're the smartest one on the phone today because uh, given the, the the process of last year and, and this year, I wish I could jump off social media too. But obviously, I like to share what I'm doing with my, my listeners. Maybe what we do here is leave it at, you know what, listeners, get your hands on Quest for Speed. You'll learn more about this incredible gentleman and how he's gone through life. Of course, there's a whole bunch online about Charles Nierberg, Charlie Nierberg. And uh, we'll leave it at that. How does that sound? Mark, thanks so much. I, I do enjoy listening to social media such as you provide and other wonderful people who, who make the time and take the time to do it. I, I, I just, um, uh, I, I find it hard to have time in the day to, to do it. And, <laughs> well, you're and, too busy uh, living but, life, my friend. And that's the, that's the way to do it. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks for your time today. And, and, uh, thanks for asking such, you know, I mean, I had to think, I had to really, you gave me a lot of questions to really think well, about. And it was fun and I, I appreciate it. Well, your time is valuable and I really appreciate you sharing what I call our most valuable asset, which is time. Again, I want to do a shout out to Judy Stropas. She's introduced me to some wonderful people. Thank you, Judy. Also to David Tremaine for the forward in this incredible book by Evro, Quest for Speed, the epic saga of record-breaking on the land. You can find everything on Charlie's show notes page. Charlie, again, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and 
sharing your experiences. We'll do a toast today to Rhett, to his memory, his great memory. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.